0: Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Shalom. I am Dr. Ann Davis with Bible Interact. We are a group of Bible scholars and Biblical archaeologists. We teach in different places, we live around the world actually, but we know each other. And we made a decision a number of years ago to record our teachings that we were were teaching in, in universities and colleges and and um and then make them available to our students but we found that other people were interested also and we also found that once we got them recorded we didn't have to teach them again so, this led to Bible Interact, which is a consortium of, of, of people who are in the field of biblical studies, and we, we record and film our, our teachings, and that allows us time to do more and more research. You know, we, we're just exploding in our ability to research, because once we have recorded the work that we've done, we move on to the, to the next project. What I'd like to talk about today is how we seek the truth in God's Word so I'm not going to be bringing to you any new great revelation about what it means in God's Word I, my heart really today wants to encourage you to be able to uncover the depth of scripture yourself the way we do it and there's no reason why you can't I have found that there are tri- three basic traditions of Bible study and I don't dispute them I mean they're fine but I perceive them as only baby steps and I want you to listen to them because I want you to see if you're fitting into any of these the first is what I have found to be traditional church Bible study which typically takes the work of someone else like I'll just give an example Beth Moore and I find that these studies tend to be circular reasoning that is they they promote a certain theology and and then all the work reinforces the theology so you start with the theology and it's circular reasoning which returns to the theology now that's not true of all of them but but i think that's happening a lot the other thing in church bible study that that really makes me shudder a little bit and no actually shudder a lot is when they say what does it mean to you and that's not bible study That's, you know, what I call jumping to conclusions like a frog, you know. Frog jumps, leaps, jumps to conclusions. What does it mean to you? Well, it means something to me. It may mean something else to somebody else. You know, in a sense, there's some validity to that because the word of God is so deep that that different people can perceive different things and that's okay but i don't think that's the way it's used i think the way it's used is you know that you study the theology of of whatever the workbook is and then you know what does it mean to you and very often if it doesn't mean something that fits with the theology it's it's not correct now the the second way which i think many of you who are listening to this program probably buy into the second way and that's in the hebraic roots groups which are are dedicated think thank you very much, I approve, um, of digging into the Hebrew scriptures to the Old Testament and its relationship to the New Testament. But I find, and this is just my experience, now I may be wrong, it's just my experience, that much of the same thing is happening with a different color. In other words, um, you know, there's a, um, a, a Parsha reading for a certain week, and and there are two ways of looking at it traditionally typically one is to see what the sages have said or what what scholars are saying today it's you know it's what other people looking at what other people have you know the depth of their understanding looking really at other people and 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 i find that you know it's just going to other what other people are are saying uh... and you may like some of it and not like some of it and um, what you like is, is you know, sort of reinforcing your own thinking. The other thing is I find in, in these Hebraic Roots fellowships very often the question, what does it mean to you? You know, you go around the circle and you give everybody a chance to, to express their thoughts, what does it mean to you? So uh, the point I'm trying to make is that although the Hebraic Roots groups are trying to break away from the traditional way of studying the Bible that is characteristic of the church, in many ways they are are doing the same thing. Now again, that's just my my observation. I may be wrong. I would be delighted to hear from you if I am wrong. There is a third way, and that's quite popular. That's to to, I call it jump on bandwagons. You find a speaker that you really like and you follow that speaker. You get that speaker's books. You, you go to seminars. You, you know, listen to programs on, on TV for, for, for certain speakers that you really are attracted to. But what's the difference? It, again, you're just relying on the work of other people. I often tell my students, don't believe a word I say. And I mean it. Because I want them to be able to go to Scripture the way I go to Scripture to uncover its depth, and then we dialogue. Now, my particular interest, and it's it's not me, I mean, I I believe very much that I was led by God. There's no other way I would have gotten into this. (laughs) But I have spent considerable time recovering the way the people of ancient Israel would have gone to Scripture, There's a large body of literature from a period we call the Second Temple Period, and that would have been before and during the life of Yeshua, shortly after the life of Yeshua until the destruction of the Temple. So I can use that body of literature, Second Temple of Literature, to to reconstruct these ancient methods of Bible study, I call it. Um, The the emphasis is on on the text, what the words say. the people of ancient Israel didn't have books like we do. The scriptures were written on vellum scrolls, vellum was made from very soft, soft leather, and it was extremely expensive. People couldn't afford to have that in their homes. They may may have had two or three scrolls in the synagogue, certainly they would have had a scroll of the Torah, and maybe a scroll of one or two or three of the prophets, and and that was it you know, people didn't have those vellum scrolls at home and writing on paper, the word paper comes from the the Greek papyrus, which was a reed that grew in the Nile Delta and from that reed they made paper and the use of paper really did not become common until it was spread throughout the Roman Empire and that would have been shortly after and following the time of Yeshua. So at the time of Yeshua you know, people didn't have books and even Even if there were books written on papyrus or on paper, again, they were very expensive. They had to be hand copied. And the hand copying didn't end until the invention of the printing press in, what was it, about the 15th century, I think, Um, long after Yeshua, (laughs) a very long time after Yeshua. So people didn't have books. And yet, they learned by memorizing. They memorized by listening. I had an experience once. It was a um, an exchange of, of teachers um, this was uh, a number of years ago and and i was I was teaching in in high school in a high school and um, we exchanged so that some of us who were teachers went to Mexico and and teachers from Mexico came up to to where I was living, which was right on the on the border between the United States and mexico and I, it, it it was amazing i'll never forget it there there was in in the classroom of course there were no books there were no books anywhere there was no paper there were no pencils there was a blackboard and the teacher could write on the blackboard in ancient israel they wouldn't have had a blackboard most of the the learning in in this Mexi- mexican community where i was was by listening the teacher would talk they would listen they couldn't write notes because they didn't have paper and pencil they simply listened and they absorbed by listening we have a hard time comprehending that because that's not the way we learn today um, you know we were learning from reading <laughs> now we're learning from what's on the television visual but we we don't learn by listening by hearing but that's the way they learn they learn by listening by hearing now I Suggest that they they learned from the time they were small children in the home from the father um there have been articles that have been written that suggest that there were like um, public gatherings where scripture would be read. We see this in in book of Ezra the scripture was read and then they broke into small groups and the, the scribes the learned people worked in the groups to explain the meaning of of the scripture but you know that that's one place in scripture at the time of Ezra which was right after the return from from exile from Babylon I you know I just I have come to the conclusion that they learned from the time they were small children and and they learned very quickly from memorization so the principle I want to make here is that in the ancient world they had memorized scripture and they heard anything strange or startling They heard it in the text, heard it in the words of teachers and prophets. They heard anything that was strange or startling. Now, what do I mean by strange or startling? Repetition. They would hear repetition. Contrast. Contrast you recognize with the the little word, but. You know, on the one hand, this, but on the other hand, that. It's, It's contrast. Contrast is all over scripture. It typically tends to contrast the way of God with the way of the world. Um, there would be word play. Two words sound alike, but they mean different things. Uh, one word has two meanings, or two words have the same meaning. If they have two words have the same meaning, it's a synonym. If one word has two very different meanings, it's a homonym. And Hebrew is filled with these uh, words that have two very different meanings. You know how how do you do this? You you have to you do it in English. You don't have to know Hebrew. You do it in English, but here comes the the contrast. But you have to have good reference material where you you can look up things. Let let yourself be curious. That's that's what I tell my students all the time. Simply be curious. If there's something that sounds a little strange, look up the word. Um, if it's a key word, it's very key to the meaning of the passage. Look it up. Just look it up. You can do it. You can use a um, a concordance, look it up, and, and and so they they heard anything unusual and anything unusual, and this was suggested by the sages, and I have come to the same conclusion based on my own work. I mean, I I, I agree with them that anything strange or puzzling most often leads you into some kind of depth of understanding in Scripture. Now, it's not um it's in the scripture itself all right i'm i'm going to give you an example we're going to work on this together Um, the best way to practice is with hebrew poetry approximately 40 percent that's four zero 40 percent of the hebrew scriptures is written in poetic form poetry does not in in the hebrew does not rhyme poetry is composed with rhythm and furthermore in addition to the rhythm that leads to an incredible sense of emotion there are also parallel lines and in the parallel lines you hear relationships between the parallel lines you hear something different between the parallel lines you hear something startling in one word or another word in the parallel lines and and this will lead you into, into deeper meaning. And we're going to practice it in Psalm 1. I mean, let's just go to Psalm 1. The whole book of Psalms is written in Hebrew poetic form. The, every Psalm, every single Psalm is in Hebrew poetic form. So I'm taking you to Psalm 1. And the first thing you do is you close your eyes and you listen to me read the rhythm. And the rhythm is going to capture an, an emotional response. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. So it's done with rhythm. What is startling? I'll tell you right now what's startling. I'm gonna In the beginning, I'll tell you what's startling. In just a minute, I'm going to start to do it. I'm going to say, okay, do you hear this? Do you hear that? What is startling is it starts out, how blessed... And immediately it goes into the negative that is startling because we expect to say oh what's the blessing how are we blessed but listen again how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the path of sinners nor sit in the seat of scoffers it goes right into the negative and that is startling and it pulls us in now let's look at the parallel lines These lines are parallel because there are words that are synonyms, or they're um, antonyms meaning opposites, or there's some kind of relationship between words. We have here, um, there are three lines. The first one, I'm going to give you the verbs. There are three verbs, three lines, three verbs, walk, stand, sit. Now those are not synonyms, but there's a relationship between them. You walk, you stand, you sit. And then comes the relationship between what follows the verbs Counsel of the wicked path of scoffers seat, a path of sinners seat of scoffers. So we walk in the counsel or advice of the wicked. Alright? We stand in the path of sinners, we sit in the seat of of scoffers, those who ridicule. So we have walk, stand, sit. We have counsel, path, seat. So you see these are parallel lines because of the relationship between them. And it's very startling that it's it's in the negative. Then we get a contrast. It's the little word but, but. His, de, his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. It's in relate they're parallel lines because it's about the law. the law of the Lord in the law he meditates day and night. So and we have the parallel between the verbs. we have delight in the law, meditate in the law. So we're getting these the relationships between the lines. Now let me stop here for just a minute and explain that this is work it takes work i have no you know i, I mean i i think coming together in a group discussion is perfectly fine but here's my contrast but to make it really meaningful for you you have to do this work before you come to the discussion. The purpose of the discussion is not to decide what it means. You do that before you come to the discussion. And then when you come into this discussion, you discuss with others what you have seen as to its meaning or, you know, the different linguistic devices, what you have seen and you discuss with others who have also done the work and to see what they have seen. So the purpose of the discussion is not to do the work, you do the work beforehand, before coming into the discussion. And then in the discussion, you discuss the work that you've done. So this is the work that I suggest you need to do before coming to any kind of a group meeting or discussion. Now let's let's go on with Psalm one, and and, and we're working on these parallel lines. We're working on the relationships, and uh, let me just read verse three. And you always listen first for the for the rhythm, which leads to a sense of emotion. We've just said we've just had the contrast. Let me start with the contrast, but. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does he prospers. All right, I want to take verse 3, and I want to work together with you verse 3. Let me read verse 3 again. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Now there are four lines. Lines 1 and 4 are in parallel. Lines 2 and 3 are in a chiastic center. They're sandwiched between the two lines of 1 and 4. So let me read you lines 1 and 4 he will be like a tree planted by streams of water and in whatever he does he prospers. So the relationship is cause and effect. If you meditate on the law day and night and it, it's your delight and you meditate in it day and night you're going to be like this tree. That's the cause and the effect is whatever you do will prosper. So there's a relationship there's a relationship between those lines 1 and 4 and that's what makes them parallel is the relationship. And in the middle is the chiastic center. And how do you prosper? It's in the middle. The tree yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Now this is all metaphorical. It's, it's using um, imagery to refer to us and our lives. What does it mean that we yield fruit in its season? Well, first of all, in its season, I always refer to as God's time. You know, I mean, before I really got into the Word and became immersed in the Word of God, I used to try to make things happen in my time. And that is very frustrating (laughs) because it invariably doesn't happen. So when I have some kind of a vision or a scope or a thought, and I believe it's from God, and it doesn't happen right away. I can't make it happen. It will happen in God's time. Now, I have to see the doors when they open and be able to walk through those doors, but I can't expect it to happen right away. And and that's the whole concept of the word hope. It, the, the English word hope means maybe, but the Greek word elpis, which has been translated hope, means the absolute certainty of something that will happen. So you know it's going to happen, but it will happen in God's time. And you have to be patient and you have to stand on it. You have to have faith that it will happen. And that's and that's what we're seeing here. So we bear fruit in its season in God's time. God determines, you know, I mean, we may, may speak some words and the person may not hear them, but maybe they're going to think about it 10 days later or a year later. <laughs> it's going to happen in God's time. And so we bear fruit in God's time and and we're like a leaf that does not wither. That doesn't mean we're not going to die, but, you know, I mean, I'm I'm moving on in age here, and the more I move on in age, the more I seem to have energy coming from inside. Now, my physical body may be, you know, doing its thing, but inside, you know, I have more excitement, more energy inside than I've ever had in my youth before I really delighted in the law of the Lord and meditated on it day and night. It, 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 So, you know, the leaf does not wither. You And you, you see people, they may be elderly, but they're not depressed, they're not grumpy, they're not negative. There's just something really positive shining from inside of them, and I think that's what it means. So, uh, and then we get, um, we've had a contrast. We have, you know, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but... His delight is in um, is in the law of the Lord, and he and in his law he meditates day and night. And he's going to be like this wonderful tree, and whatever he does is going to prosper. Um, he's he's going to bear fruit in God's time, and he's you know he he's not going to wither. He's just going to have life inside of him that just you know it, it, and it, that life grows, it expands, and becomes wonderful. Now we get another contrast because all of a sudden we're jumping to the wicked. Because it says the wicked are not so, but they and but would be in contrast to the righteous ones who delight in the law of the Lord, but they, the wicked, are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Now this imagery we get in the new testament um it's a it's an image and a symbolism for judgment, because in the agricultural work of ancient Israel. Um, they grew two grain crops. The barley was at the time of Pesach or Passover, and wheat was the time at um, at uh, Shavuot, uh, uh, Pentecost. So what they would do is they would take a a, a wooden pitchfork, was what it was, it was made out of wood, and put it into the grain and throw that grain up into the air on a windy day. The kernels were heavier. The chaff was the husk on the outside, and it's very light so it would separate the kernels which has the seed in it from the outside husks called the chaff and the chaff was very light so the wind would blow the chaff away and the seed would drop down to the ground and they would have a pile of of good seed and of course life comes from seed So this is the imagery. Uh, The wicked are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Now listen to this next verse. I want you to listen very carefully. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Our Christian theology has taught us a whole lot about You know, black and white. Either you're saved or you're not saved. And those who aren't saved are going to perish. That's not what it says. Let me read it again. The way, the way, oh, the way, the way... Uh, The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. It's not the wicked who will perish, it's the way of the wicked that will perish. So all unrighteousness is going to be done away with. And what will be left is only the way of the righteous. So with that, I encourage you to do your own Bible study.